Well, I believe that I have broken my record. Uh, it's been now a full week since I've said this. Um, but the Bible is God communicating with us. And that is just such a big deal. I'm telling you, if that doesn't like amaze and surprise you, I, I don't think you understand it. It's God communicating with us, and that is such a big deal. It's so important that we want to really try to really understand what it's really trying to say to us. And so we've been looking at a lot of Old Testament stuff, a lot of stories and poems and ideas and concepts in the Old Testament, and just trying to understand them, but also trying to understand how they fit into our lives and our time and how these things make sense or why these stories even matter to us. And then at the, maybe the most important thing is we've been seeing how all of these concepts and ideas and stories and poems and letters, how all of these things are part of one really big, eternal, epic story. And that story leads to Jesus, that story leads to Jesus. So we're trying to understand how the Old Testament stuff fits into this really great big story that leads us to Jesus. So today we're gonna to talk about animal sacrifice. Uh, and I have to say, what a weird, strange thing for us to try to wrap our heads around. Um, so to get there, we're gonna back up just a little big surprise, right? We're going back to the garden. Um, but. Um, once sin came in, and temptation and sin and evil kind of overwhelmed man, Adam and Eve, as you know, got kicked out of the garden, and now it's like everything's just a mess, and sin and evil are just ruining everything, and sin and evil are causing separation, spiritual death, right, separation between God and man, and it's, it's ruining everything. Sin is ruining what God wanted, he's always wanted the same thing from the very beginning. What God wanted was to create a perfect world and in that perfect world would be his perfect people and his perfect people would be enjoying his perfect blessing and living under his perfect rule. But it just seems like it's not happening. As we're reading through the story, it just, as we're following along, it's like it seems like man is just powerless to stand up to temptation. Man is just unable to stand up to sin. It's just, it's just too strong. So as I'm like reading through this thing, I'm thinking, well, you know, it needs to happen. We need to overcome sin, but it seems like it's not gonna happen. How are we ever gonna get back to Eden? How are we gonna get back to that place? And it just seems like, like God's just gonna have to do something because man can't do something. But the problem is the evil that's messing everything up is inside mankind. So the only way to really kill off sin is to really kill off mankind. And this is super scriptural, but I don't know if you, remember that movie, um, Alien? You guys remember that? It's like a sci-fi horror monster, really super spiritual movie, but it's, these people are in space or whatever, and this weird space creature somehow like lays eggs inside of people or something like that. And then like the people get super, you know, bad things are happening and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, like the, the head of that monster goes like <laughs> and comes like out, out of them. You guys remember that? Am I the only one? It's like horrible, this monster, it's inside of them. 
And the problem is, the only way they can kill the monster is to kill the person, right? And so this is, this is like the dilemma we're at in our story is that this sin is inside of us. And the only way to kill off the sin is to kill off mankind. And I gotta say, I'm not crazy about that solution because I see that the sin that was in Adam, the sin that was in Adam, all of mankind, um, and the sin that is wrecking the world is, is also in me. And just like Adam, my sin not only separates me from God, it not only puts this barrier between me and God, it makes me a contributor to the problem. It makes, it, my sin is, 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 is contributing to the filth and to the dirtiness. Remember how the Bible says that through Adam, Adam's sin came in and sin came into the world. And every time I sin, I'm bringing sin into the world. I'm, I'm a contributor to the, to the dirty, sinful brokenness of this world. So I'm the problem and all sinners are the problem. How many of you, just quick show, how many of you are sinners? About 70%. That's about what I expected. <laughs> you got up in the middle of the night on a cold day and came to church, so I knew it was gonna be a small. Uh, but those of us that raised our hands, we're the problem. We're what's separating man from God. We're what's contaminating God's good world. So. How many of you, a show of hands, like this solution of just killing off all the sinners? 30%. (laughs) See how that worked out. The thing is, it won't work. It it, it won't fix anything, because the whole idea is for God to have a relationship with man, and that can't really happen if we kill off man. So this is like like every good story. It's got a a legit crisis, right? It's got a real problem. And the problem is that sin is this, this virus and it's in all people and it causes death and it separates us from God and the only thing that cures the virus is death. And the Bible even says that the wages of sin is death. The penalty for sin is death. The, the, the cost of sin is death and that's justice. You know, when Adam and Eve chose their way instead of God's way. When Adam and Eve chose sin instead of God, they experienced spiritual death. That's, that's justice. They were separated from God. That's just what it cost. And when I choose sin instead of God, when I choose my way instead of his way, I will surely die, right? Just like them, I will experience separation from God. But killing everybody just seems counterproductive, you know, to the original plan. And also, it goes against this promise that God made because God said that someday he was gonna crush evil and he was gonna crush the enemy and he was gonna do it through a man. So interesting dilemma, right? Interesting twist in our, in our big story here. And in the story, God decides to do something crazy. And that is that he allows a substitute. And he says that an animal can symbolically die in our place. And that animal can then accept the punishment um, that we deserve. So the process, um, when they were going through the desert and all that, when they would do this, is the people would come, you know, I know I've got sin in my life, so I would select a, a, a goat, a young lamb or a goat, and it had to be like young and strong and vibrant and healthy and no, you know, broken ones or sick ones. And I would bring it to the priest, and they would take this goat and lay it down on the altar 
and, and kill it. And so then now that, that sheep is accepting the price, the penalty um, that I deserve instead of me. So now I don't have to be separated from God. And so kind of a weird concept, but in addition to that, remember my sin, just like Adam and Eve's, it doesn't just separate me from God. My sin contributes to the filth and the contamination and the degradation of this world. So they would then take some of the blood from that lamb and sprinkle it and, and wipe it and rub it like on the altar and in the special, the holy of holies inside the temple. And that symbolized like cleaning the temple, right? And, and cleaning the world and taking away the filth and sin that was polluting and contaminating the world. So sounds weird, right, and, and cruel and hard and hateful. Um, I will tell you this though, um, animal sacrifice and even human sacrifice in that part of the world at that time in history was not unusual. It was really common in other peoples and in other religions and in other nations. So it wasn't quite as weird to them as it is to us, but I have to say it's weird. Um, I think we can, we can own that. But what I'm really interested in today is, is, is beyond the cultural weirdness of it. I'm just wondering, when those people were actually doing that thing, when I'm actually bringing a little baby sheep in there and they're cutting its throat, I'm just wondering, like, what did it feel like to watch that happen? And to watch this innocent animal laid down on a table and its throat cut and it's blood running down the table. And then the priest taking that blood and like splashing it all around everything. And not, and not for meat, you know, not for a good reason, but just to know that my sin made it necessary for this innocent young lamb to die. And that my sin content, con, con, contributed something to the dirtiness of the world that made that blood necessary, that's, it's, it's, it's like harsh to me. And I'm not a hunter, I know a lot of you are hunters and don't think less of me, but I'm not a big hunter. Um, I haven't killed that many animals, um, but if I could tell you a story of an animal that I killed um, many years ago, it was a baby kitten. And uh, I know, right? Uh, and I will just say, I hate cats, don't, don't email me, I don't, I don't, I don't like cats. Um, but even in my callous, cold hatred for cats, let me tell you this story. So we were renting this house in San Antonio, we were on about three acres, and it was all grass, so it had to be mowed, so it was a lot of mowing. But the people that owned the house had left this garage full of stuff. And a couple of really key things in that garage, one was a ginormous lawnmower, um, it had like a 42 inch cut, it was a really, really big lawnmower, and it was the kind that you, you stand on like a platform and you ride behind it. Have you seen those and it kind of pulls you around like that? And so that was cool, because um, it was three acres of mowing, right? Uh, also they left us a pregnant cat, and so not as cool as the lawnmower. So anyway, now it's a Sunday morning, and like I got up really early because I wanted to get a head start on the mowing. I was gonna mow, go to church, come home, finish, right? And so I got up that morning, I'm mowing along and everything, and I got as far as I could go, and now I'm putting the lawnmower away, and here are these, I don't even remember, like 10 kittens or something, and they're like this big, little 
five, six weeks old maybe, little kittens, and they're all meow, 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 and they're all just in there with their little mom, and it's a sweet little story, you know. So now I'm backing this lawnmower thing. It's turned off, so don't get all ready for that. Um, and I kind of, like I put it in place right here, and then I go back over, and I know I don't like the way it was, and I swung it around, and when I did, the blade of that lawnmower hit this kitten right there. And she didn't cry or move or, or fight. Like her arms went out and like her face went down and that was it. And just this like pool of blood all around. And I hate cats. But that affected me to see that. That affected me to see that innocent little kitten, you know, life turned to death. And it was my fault. It was because of me. And I still, I'm telling you now, it was 30 years ago. I'm telling the story now. I still remember that feeling of thinking life has become death and it's on me. And just watching that like pool of blood spread and how that made me feel. And I think that feeling was part and one of the points of these sacrifices was to see that blood pouring out, to see the life pouring out of that animal and the just waste and the, and the tragedy of it and to know that it's on me. I think that was kind of, I'm wondering what they felt like. Right? I've, I've sinned, I've done this thing, I brought this innocent baby lamb in there and now here comes the blood and it's all running down. And I just, I'm wondering what their emotions were, what they were feeling. I'm sure they felt thankful, right? That God had made this substitution deal possible, right? I'm thankful that I'm not getting what I deserve, but also probably like some kind of um, like sad guilt or some kind of shame. I think it, it at best, it must have been a, a really heavy moment, and it, and it was supposed to be heavy, right? It was supposed to be a heavy feeling because it was supposed to reflect the remorse that they had about their sin. I'm supposed to say that sadness and grief and horror of this animal innocently losing its life reflects the, the sin that's in me, and I, I am just as, as offended and hurt and crushed by my sin as I am by watching this thing happen. It was supposed to hurt. It was supposed to be sad. It was supposed to, to bring this feeling out in them, but such a weird feeling that they were supposed to feel because at the same time, like gratitude, right, and joy that now I, I don't have to pay that price, and so I think they had this they were supposed to have like joy, but tempered with this somber like weight or heaviness. And they were supposed to be like embracing the, the sadness of the life draining out of this animal. They were supposed to be embracing the sadness of their sin. Um, there's a guy named John Collins at the Bible Project. He has a really great term for this. He calls it a heavy thankfulness. And I think that's, that's it, right? That's, that's, what, that's a good term. That's probably what they felt. That's what they should feel. That's what they should feel when they're watching that happen. And I guess for a while they did. But then after a while, the Israelites stopped feeling anything. They didn't feel remorse for their sins. They didn't feel sadness. 
for the lambs and, and they, they just become so calloused and so comfortable with their sin that um, their sacrifices became like cheap, like just a get out of hell free card, right? They just, you just do whatever you want and kill a sheep and you'll be good to go and it was just hypocrisy that was supposed to make them feel remorse for their sins and they didn't even feel remorse for the animal and so God says through Isaiah, you know what, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with these sacrifices and these people and there's just no remorse. There's, there's, no, there's no repentance. There's, there's no repentance. They're, you're not even sad that you sinned. You're not even sad that this lamb is dying because of, you're, not even, you're not even trying to do what's right. You're just living like hell and then hoping that this lamb is gonna get you into heaven. And so this is like a really tragic time in this story. Look what God says. This is Isaiah 1, 11. He says, what makes you think I even want your sacrifices? I'm sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to worship me, who asks you to parade through my courts with all your ceremonies? Can you see how disgusted God is that they're just going through the motions that it doesn't even mean anything to them? Verse 15, he says, you know what? When you lift up your hands in prayer, I won't look. Though you offer many prayers, I won't even listen because your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. So wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways and learn to do good and seek justice and help the oppressed and defend the cause of orphans and fight for the rights of widows. So their hate and their violence and their just disdain for justice had gotten so bad. And it was even worse because now it's mixed with hypocrisy. They're going through the motions, but it doesn't even mean anything. They, they, don't, even, they don't even care what effect their sins are having on weak people or oppressed people or hurting people. And God's people had just gone bad with hypocrisy and, and hate and violence. And the sin was so profound that the blood of their sacrifice wasn't enough to cover it. And so again, this is just a really sad part of the story. It's a really like a hopeless feeling in this story, but God. Have you noticed how many times we say that? But God, through Isaiah, promised a better sacrifice. And not just one that covers the actions of the sin, but a sacrifice that actually removes the sin from the heart. And God promised a Messiah, a chosen one, not, not just a sheep. He would actually be a king, but a, a different kind of king. Not just a king that would help them you know, win wars and build wealth and protect him from attackers, but a king who would actually save his people from their sins, who would re reunite God with man and ultimately would really finally clean up the world and return it to being God's place with God's people, under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing. But this king wouldn't do it in a traditional way. This king wouldn't do it as this you know, victorious military leader, this great man of power and strength. Isaiah 53, 10 said he would do it when his life was made an offering for sin. So this Messiah, this, this king, this savior would not come as a like glorious, powerful general or bureaucrat or politician or lawmaker. He would come as a sacrifice. The king would come 
as a sacrifice, an innocent victim of our sin to take our place just like the sacrificial lamb, to be a substitute so we would put our sins on him and he would take our punishment. So this is what Isaiah says about this. This is Isaiah 53, three. It's pretty cool. He's describing a future Messiah, but in the past tense. He says, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, but we didn't care. It was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, but he never said a word. He was like a a lamb led to the slaughter. And as a sheep, silent before the shearers, he didn't even open his mouth. Who is Isaiah describing? Jesus, yeah. So always remember, in church when they say, who's the hero, just say Jesus. You're almost always gonna be right. This is where we're gonna see the connection. That's part of what we're doing here, right? We wanna try to understand what was going on, even when it's hard, and then we wanna try to see, well, what does that have to do with Jesus, right? And so this is the connection to Jesus. These sheeps, sheeps, these sheep, these goats were images. They were foreshadowing of Jesus. He is our perfect innocent lamb. Our, our sins were laid on him and he bled and he died in our place. So Isaiah was looking forward to Jesus when he said that he would be pierced for our rebellion and he would be crushed for our sins and he would be like a lamb led to the slaughter and he wouldn't even complain or fight back. Isaiah was looking forward and seeing Jesus. And then John the Baptist was looking back at Isaiah's words in John 1:29 when he called Jesus the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. So even though it might make sense a little bit, it still seems harsh, doesn't it? It seems like cruel. Um, it seems like this, this sacrifice thing is a, like a hateful act from a mean God. Like he's just killing out of anger or, or, or rage or hate of our sins, but it's actually the opposite. The emotion is just that powerful, but it's not, it's not hate. Look at 1 John 4, 9. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we could have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So Jesus laying down his life as a sacrifice for us and Jesus covering our sins with his blood and Jesus taking the punishment, right? Taking the death and the separation that we deserved so that we wouldn't have to proves something really amazing and really beautiful and really hard to believe and that is that his love for you is so deep and so profound that he was willing to bleed and to die to make things right with you. He was willing to become that quiet, innocent, sacrificial lamb 
so that you and I could experience life with him instead of death without him. And when I think of Jesus on that cross, beaten and betrayed and bleeding, it's kind of like that kitten. It's like what I think they were supposed to feel when they saw those lambs. Like I don't know, I don't have a category for the emotion. It's like it's, it's definitely remorse, right? There's definitely this, this heavy sadness that my sin made this necessary. You ever think of that? My sin made it necessary for Jesus to die. But that sadness is like overcome by this deep gratitude and this like profound, sober thankfulness that Jesus took the punishment that I deserved and that he was willing to die so that I could live. And the feeling is, it's like hard, it's hard to describe. I'm not giddy, you know? I'm not like all silly happy because I know that it's my sin that made it necessary but I'm just so thankful, you know? I just, I'm just so thankful that he did that. I like, I like that term. It's, it's a heavy thankfulness. And we may not completely understand how the whole thing works or, or why life can only come through death, but we can be thankful, even though we know that our sins are what made it necessary. And I think it helps a little as we're trying to understand this and as we're trying to kind of come to grips with this to see that this isn't just like a random act of cruelty or violence or hate, it's, it's an act of the love of God. He, he loves us so much that he allowed us a substitute to take the punishment that we deserve. And then, because of the hardness of our hearts, when these goats and these lambs were not enough, God raised the stakes and he sent Jesus in his unimaginable, love. God did an unimaginable thing. He didn't do it out of cruelty. He didn't do it out of hate. He did it out of love. So like so many of the things that we've talked about, animal sacrifice in the Bible is all about Jesus. It's, it's a huge part of this huge story that leads us to Jesus. So last question, right? What does that have to do with us? Right, how does this matter in our world? What are we supposed to learn? What are we supposed to do in response to this idea? Jesus has become the sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world and makes us right with God. Okay, we, we kind of sort of understand that, but like, so what? You know, what are we supposed to do? And so I think a couple of things. Um, one is with a heavy thankfulness, we should accept the salvation and the life that he offers. He's doing this amazing, hard to understand, painful to watch thing, and he's doing it for us. He's doing it so that we can have a relationship with him. He's doing it so that we can go back to Eden and we can be one with God and we can be his people in his place, enjoying his blessing under his rule. He's, he's, he's like offering all of that and he's paid this horrendous price to make that happen. So I think like, first of all, we should say yes Right? We should say, yeah, take my sin and cover it with that blood. Right? So I think the first thing is we should just do that. And so um, 
probably, I mean, like I said, you got up early on a cold day, lost an hour of sleep, you're in church. We're probably all Christians here, right? But there might be somebody that's not or that's not clear or maybe that's online and, and just tuned in accidentally. Maybe there's somebody here that's not really sure that their sins are under that blood and they're not really sure exactly how that works. And so just real briefly, if I can just say, it's not as, as, as confusing and convoluted as some of this stuff is, the act on our part is pretty simple. Um, Romans 10, nine tells us that if we say with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, in other words, if we just acknowledge that he's gonna be driving from now on, he's gonna fill me with his spirit and he's gonna show me where to go and he's gonna empower me to go there. If you say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you really believe that Jesus has the power over death for himself and he has the power to give you eternal life, if you say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be covered by that blood. His sacrifice will be enough for you to be made right with God. And so, yeah, if you, if you want to do that, we, it, you know, it, it, let's start with a prayer, right? And then we'll walk out our lives under his power and under his leading. But it starts with this prayer of saying, I want to get under that blood, right? I want to be covered by that blood. I want to begin this thing with you. And so I'm just going to lead you in a super simple prayer right now. It's not magic words or something. It's just you saying with your mouth what's going on in your heart. If you want to become a Christian today and know that you have a relationship with God, you can repeat this prayer with me. And I'll just ask everybody, um, even if you're a Christian, just to repeat this prayer with me. Just pray like this. Just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. Today I become a Christian. I believe in you as my risen Savior. And I'm asking you to be my Lord. So cover my sins with your blood. And forgive me. And accept me. And love me. And fill me with your spirit. And empower me to live your way. In your name. Amen. Okay, so that's pretty, pretty quick and painless. It's pretty fast. It's pretty simple. But it doesn't make it easy to live out this life as a Christian. So if that happened for you today, man, we want to help you with next steps. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. When you leave today, I'm going to ask you to go out to our Connection Center and just tell them, today I decided to follow Jesus. And they're going to give you a card. Check that box. I'll call you this week. We'll talk about whatever questions you have and kind of talk things through. And they got a little gift for you back there. It's a Bible that you can actually read and understand. Um, but yeah, it's a really big eternal thing that has happened for you if that's happened and we just kind of want to be part of that that's what the church is for so like how does this fit into our story one is we accept this free gift that he's offering us and two now that we have a perfect sacrifice we don't do the ceremonies anymore of animal sacrifice we've replaced those with barbecues now so we don't, we, don't, we don't do animal sacrifice anymore, but really we have replaced that ceremony in the New Testament, in our Testament, we've replaced that with two other ceremonies, and one of them is water baptism, right? This is water, let me show you what this is. Romans 6, 4, Paul writes this. We died and were buried with Christ by baptism. We died and we were buried with Christ by baptism, and just like Jesus was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we can have new life and so this is what water bab we're going to do some baptisms after the second service today if you want to be baptized come back and we'll baptize you in the second service but this this represents you're going like jesus you're going into the grave the old you is dead right and now you're raised up to new life in christ that's what baptism represents so that's one thing we do and the other thing is communion 
We call it the Lord's Supper. And so this is where we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. So our worship team's gonna come out now, I think, and they're gonna be ready to, to help us through this part. But I hope you got one of these crazy paper cup things when you came in here. And if you'll peel back the top layer of cellophane from that thing. If you don't have one, if you'll raise your hand, Joe's standing right there and he'll bring you one. Does anybody not have one? A couple in the back? Okay. So if you'll just peel off that top layer and then grab this little piece of plastic or whatever it is. It's supposed to be bread. It represents bread. More importantly than that is what the bread represents. Right? This represents the body of Christ. And this is like our reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And I don't know if you've ever like seen movies or like in pictures or, or like envisioned in your mind what it must have looked like for Jesus to be whipped and beaten and spit on and punched and his beard pulled out of his face and nails driven through his hands and hung on a cross to die a, no kidding, excruciating, bloody, horrible death for you. This is our reminder. It's hard to look at, right? It's a heavy thankfulness. to picture his body on that cross for you. But this is what communion is. It's a time for us to like embrace that feeling. It's a time for us to, to, to embrace that heavy thankfulness and to say, man, I'm sorry for my sins, but I'm so thankful that he took them away. I'm really sorry that I made it necessary for Jesus to die but I'm so thankful that he was willing to die so that I could live. The Bible says on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it into pieces and he said, this is my body which is given for you, so do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray, hold that bread. Jesus, thank you. And we're so sorry for the things that we've done and thought and said that made it necessary for you to die so that our sins could be covered by your blood. We're truly sorry for the things we did that made it necessary for you to die so that we could live. But even in the middle of our regret and our remorse and our sadness for what we've done that's like overtaken and overwhelmed by this thankfulness and gladness Enjoy that you love us so much that you're willing to make that sacrifice for us. And so right now, it's, it's hard for us to understand. It's painful for us to look at. But right now, Jesus, we just wanna say thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us in your name. Amen. Let's take the bread. If you peel off that next layer, you'll see the cup under there. And this represents the blood of Jesus. that covers our sins, that makes us right with God, that assures us of our salvation. It's a promise for us of an eternity in heaven that we will go back to Eden, that we will be in a perfect place and we'll be there with Jesus. And that's all because of the blood. In the same way, Jesus took a cup of wine after supper and he said, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people. 
It's an agreement confirmed with my blood. So do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Jesus, thank you for the choice that you made to cover all of our bad choices with your blood. Thank you for loving us so much that you were willing to die just so that we could live and so that we could live with you. Again, we may not completely understand this, but in this moment, we see your sacrifice. We see your love for us. We see our future with you in heaven. And we just want to say thank you in your name. Amen. Let's take the cup. A couple things before I let you go. Can I say thank you for going through that with me? That was hard, huh? That was hard. Hey, uh, just a couple of things just to encourage you. Don't forget, next week is going to be this kind of weird week where we're going to look at the trouble in our lives and how God's promise and his presence is enough for us. And don't forget the night of worship coming up that next following Friday night on the 25th. Good Friday. Uh, If you love the misery that we went through today, you will love Good Friday because that's kind of going to be what it's going to be. We're going to acknowledge what Jesus did for us on the cross, and that's going to be a painful, hard thing for us to go through. But then that following Sunday morning, we are going to flat out celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So uh, don't forget today, as you're leaving, we got kind of a different traffic pattern going out there. There was an accident last week, and it was kind of a mess, and so we're just, we're just going to really be careful. So I know it's going to be a little different, but please just pay attention to the cones and the people out there, and be safe. God bless you guys. Have a great week.